Welcome to episode 114 of No Challenges Remaining, live from Wimbledon after Wimbledon. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined after Wimbledon by Courtney Nguyen. Happy Wimbledon over, Courtney. Happy Wimbledon over, Ben. That sounds like a British ter- sporting term, the Wimbledon over. The Wimbledon, oh my gosh. Because I, I had to do so much radio while I was here. The BBC or whoever, and so they would like cut in with these news breaks from the test match. The Ashes, The right? Ashes, yeah, yeah, the cricket. And every single time they did it, literally gibberish, <laughs> did not, could not decipher in any way, shape, or form who was leading, what had happened, if a good thing happened or a bad thing happened. It was incredible. The language around cricket, I find to be completely inaccessible. I actually, the person I was staying with here, it was, it was at home watching cricket, and so I watched the end of some 2020 cricket match between two like, English club teams, and it made some sense of you, like someone was explaining to you actively on every single ball. Yeah, no, I would, I would presume as much. And I, and I, you know, I totally recognize that like baseball is probably completely, and I know this because my parents still to this day don't get baseball, even though they've watched so many games with my, me and my sister, that obviously there are a lot of sports that you just don't get. But I just, it's weird that I just, I could never figure out like whether or not a good thing or a bad thing happened. Yeah. So speaking of good things and bad things happening, overall... Courtney, good Wimbledon or bad Wimbledon? Just great Wimbledon. Great. I'm going to say great Wimbledon because I think that I cannot underscore this enough. Serena Williams doing what she has now done, yeah. doing the thing that... Are we allowed to talk about it now? Can we I, say the words? I think her... Is it her, okay? Her embargo, I think, is finally Is she finally listening? Lifted. Jill Smoller, are you here in the room? Serena Williams completes the Serena Slam, wins her fourth consecutive major, beats Garbina Muguruza in straight sets in the final. Four and four. Four and four. I thought it was an entertaining match personally. I, I thought, thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was great. I um, was impressed by Muguruza, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But I just think that regardless of what happened on the men's side, at least from my perspective, with the accent and the passport that I have, there was no way that I was going to say Serena Williams doing that and thus kicking off the chase for the calendar slam at, at the U.S. Open, on home soil, possibly catching Steffi, all those things. This is so big for tennis in America, you guys. Like, it cannot be undersold. It's all I ever wanted. <laughs> it really is. No, I mean, it's so great. Like, I talked, I think I had this, I'm pretty sure I did say this this year, and I thought I said the year before, too. You say it every all, year after the Australian Open. After the Australian Open, and during, like, New Year's resolutions in the end of year yeah. show looking ahead. Mm-hmm. All I wanted is for somebody to win the Australian and the French, anybody, pretty much, within reason, uh, to win the Australian and French to get calendar slam intrigue here. We had it. It was great. And it kept going. And it's going to be massive. You see, you see the ratings spikes for the Triple Crown when, like, someone goes into the Belmont Stakes. And those are horses, dumb horses that we've been over. Even Horse golf racing right now with golf Jordan with speed. speed. Yeah. yeah. And so for Serena to be doing this, going into her home slam, she's going to have the crowd on her side, first of all, like never before there. It's going to be, like, Serena's moment because obviously the crowd it's would know it's been dodged. It, it is a coronation. That's the perfect word for right? it. I mean, it's, it's overdue. She's been the, the dope so fan of, of tennis for so long. This will be a coronation moment, and I'm so excited to see it. I mean, I, it it almost doesn't even matter. Well, it doesn't matter if she does it or finishes a job or not, but just the build-up to it will be amazing, and it will be in Bostad. <laughs> exactly. It begins in Bostad. Which is just crazy. Uh, which is where Serena Williams is playing this week in Sweden. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just so massive, and, and you really see it on every metric, whether you're talking about TV, where you're talking about headlines, whether, I mean, gosh, our tweet um, that we sent uh, the minute that she won, it's still getting retweeted. It's upwards she of... She retweeted it. Yeah, she retweeted it, which... Woot, woot! Um, Serena Bump is nice to have. A Serena Bump is very nice to have, but it's up there of like 6,500 yeah, uh, retweets, which is pretty amazing, and it's still climbing... Um, people care, and they care not because of tennis necessarily. These are not these are not no. necessarily 6,500 tennis fans who are retweeting this, but this is 6,500 people who are intrigued by this idea of first of all Serena the icon yeah. and her greatness, um, and then also marches towards history. When you are on the road to a historical milestone to do yeah. something that it's not that this hasn't been done before, obviously, but I mean for an American it's never been done before. So, you know, for that alone, it, 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 it matters. And, um, you know, I'm just excited for the sport. I'm excited for Serena. I would, I'll say it right now, I would love to see her take it home in, in New York because 
of the coronation moment exactly. because of the the idea of Serena Williams being an underappreciated champion of yeah. our sport. And uh, I think you had a not great even of our sport of the world. of the world, yeah. And and you had a great tweet about it, Ben, about uh, when Andy Murray was in press and people kept asking him about Roger Federer and about his greatness and is he perhaps the greatest sportsman in, in the history of sport. And Murray went out of his way to continually bring Serena Williams into the conversation because Andy Murray is basically the best human being on the, in the, on the planet. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, it matters. It, it, create, it, it starts those debates, and, and those debates should always include Serena Williams because what she has done, we're just watching it, and we take it for granted, and I assure you all, 10, 15, 20 years looking back on it, you're going to be really, really disappointed in yourself for taking, for, taking it for granted. I, I, I probably chastise myself for it. I expect Serena to win. And so when she does win, it's not like a champagne cork popping I, thing. i got to say, I feel like people aren't taking it for granted right now. I don't think so. I feel like she's getting a ton of attention for it. It's making headlines. But I'm saying over the course of okay. her career. Over the course of her career, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? No, complete, yeah. that, that's completely That's true. what I mean in terms of coordination. It's like now she gets what she deserves, and yeah. she has more than earned... Um, she just goes so out of her way in terms of winning a damn calendar slam <laughs> in order to get this. I mean, the Serena slam, she's getting a lot of praise for that already. So even if she doesn't get the calendar sure. slam, she has all four again. Pulling that feet off more than a dozen years after the first time you do it, that's incredible. Like, nobody has two pieces She like turns this. 34 next month. Yeah. 34. And she is ruling this tour, and I've said it before, with an iron fist. And that is something, I mean, that is a level of domination that we have... Never seen in this sport, and uh, and I I'm not as familiar with other sports, but I'm pretty I'd be pretty shocked to hear if there's been ever this sort of like late career you're supposed to be out of your peak level of domination the way that Serena Williams has done it. And it wasn't um, like it was wire to wire either. That would almost right. be which is kind of more how Steffi did it. Yeah, Steffi had a shorter burst, but like got on top. With the exception of Stella's when Stella's took over, and then Stella's was obviously knocked out of the sport in terrible situation. Steffi was kind of uninterrupted from there. Yeah. She didn't have any dips or comeback moments. She was just there. The and pure she, resilience. Yeah, and so for Serena to get knocked down and get back up again and get knocked down and get back no, up again. Don't, please don't use Chumbawamba as our outro song. You're never going to keep her down. <laughs> the eye rolls, you guys, that you're missing on this audio <laughs> format. Let's talk a little bit more about Serena's tournament because there were some things. I loved the moment after the after show of the women's final when they're in the BBC studio and it was uh, Andy Roddick and somebody Sue Barker Sue, and somebody else. Okay. And they were with Sue Barker and they're talking about how tough aerobics is. You know, she had to play Maria, she had to play Azarenka, she had to play Venus. Three and, consecutive former and, number ones. And then Sue chimes in and goes, and Heather Watson. I did. I don't, actually, I totally remember that. And Heather Watson. And then like Roddick's like, uh-huh. <laughs> Obviously, Heather played well, but the other ones are former number yeah. ones and Grand Slam champions. And Serena had a tough draw. Uh, beat Venus was relatively straightforward, high-quality match, but never really in doubt the way it started. Serena won the first eight points of the match and kind of never looked back. It was three and four, four and three, something like that. Vika came out unbelievably well. She came out firing in Incredible the, in, in the quarterfinals. Vika. Just can't play any better and kept playing well until Serena did that thing we see from her so often, dug her heels in, made a match of it. Elevated. And then elevated and went on a run of several straight games, seven, I think something like that, to make it uh, get a lead in the third set from which she never looked back. Semifinals against Maria was not close even by their standards. Nope. It was one of the... Because like, that's the thing. The, the 17 in a row is obviously a ridiculous blowout route, embarrassing head-to-head. But a lot of the individual matches have been close in score lines. Or at least close set. Final. I shine Open Final. Yeah, Brisbane before that. And they've had close sets French Open matches. Final. Yeah. They've had good matches. This was not one of them. And this was Maria's fault. No. She did not bring it. She no. did not have her best. And about midway through that second set, you almost saw it, a slight kind of resignation that this you was happening. Her, yeah. And you don't see that from her. And um, so, yeah, I was disappointed. I mean, I, I, I expect, obviously, Serena to win that match. A little disappointed by, by Maria Sharapova's um, performance in that match. But, uh, yeah, I mean, three straight former number ones, two points from losing to Heather Watson. Um, and she makes it into the final to play the surprise finalist. And really, I mean, the charmer of the tournament. I mean, like, if you talk about a player who nobody had their eye on um, and, and slowly but surely really proved to herself that she belonged here, that she could do this, that she could, you know, get herself into this position, I think that, that, that Garbini Muguruza comes out of this with a very different perspective on her career and on tournaments going forward. Yeah, and we'll see how she handles it. 
Yeah. It's, it's a total no, I mean, change of change of position and status in the sport for her now. For sure. But but for Garbina Muguruza, I mean, we talk about Serena's run. I mean, let's talk about Muguruza's run. I mean, yeah. she beats uh, in that ridiculous match against Kerber. She beats number 10 Kerber, number 5 Waz. She re- beats her straight sets. Beats Tamea Baczynski straight sets. Who's been playing great. Yeah. Uh, Agnieszka Radvanska overcomes a six-game uh, six uh, run in the middle where she got a little bit nervous, came through in the end, battled there, won that semifinal in three against Serena Williams, overmatched on pretty much every level, but played great and took advantage of the fact that Serena had a very slow start, three double faults in that first game uh, to basically hand over an early lead. And, and she held on to that lead for yeah. a while because it was, a, it was a, not a quick first set. There were some long, entrenched games, and she got up 4-2. Yep. And Serena, that was the thing. So you could tell Serena was pulling level. It's a question of when she would be able to do it on the scoreboard, when yep. she would actually be able to exactly. pull ahead. Um, and she did, but Muguruza acquitted herself incredibly well. The second set, winning those three games from 1-5 yeah. down, almost looked like she was checked out of it, because I saw at one moment she looked over to her box and kind of shook her head at one of the changeovers, and I thought, man, okay, this is going to be a 6-1 second set, um, but she Serena but she did get a, level did she did. a little bit. She did, she eight double faults. The match had everything. The match had, had like moments of Serena routing when she won the seven straight games. <laughs> it had... Fight backs, it had chokes, it had surprise, itchy and trouble moments. It had and but every, the crowd loved it. Was, it. It was a great atmosphere, much better than the men's final. And yeah, the men's final. Last two a sets awkward. of it. The red men's final. We'll get to the men more later. Never recovered from the rain delay. I didn't think it was just. And it's all obviously an unbelievably pro Federer crowd. Yeah. And so once it became clear that Federer was not likely to win this match, it kind of died. Um, yeah. Other thoughts on the women? And obviously, great tournament, I think, for Azarenka yep. to establish herself well. She'll be definitely one to watch. Very short list of people who can, I think, uh, derail the Serena Slam, or the Grand Slam, Serena's Grand Slam, <laughs> in New York. She's on there for sure. Uh, brief shout out to Coco Vandeweghe, who made a quarterfinal, and it was really, really good. Uh, took Maria Sharapova took to Maria three Sharapova sets. three sets, and that was looking in doubt, too, and she just... She played great. Um, also, another American semifinal of uh, quarterfinalist Madison Keys, who honestly I didn't think had the best tournament at all. She got through a very easy f- first four rounds, and then I didn't get to see much of the Keys match because uh, the Keys Ravonska match because it was simultaneous to Serena Azarenka. Yeah, you know, you probably watched. I watched. Of it. I watched a little bit of it, and I agree with you. But at the same time, in terms of Madison not playing her best tennis here, um, but again, when you when you look at the development of Madison Keys, and I think I've said this numerous times. Um, you know, throughout the podcasts, um, you look for her to take care of business because in so many tournaments, she doesn't do that. She yeah. plays lower-ranked players. She takes these really bad losses. Here, she had a really nice draw once Eugenie Bouchard uh, lost in that opening round, and that whole section basically got vacated. And Makarova lost, Makarova too. lost yeah. as well. And she took care of business, and she got there, and she put herself in a position against Redvanska, three sets, very tough match. And the thing is... Madison Keys almost made yet another slam semifinal playing her B-level tennis. She that's never played... Yeah, exactly. She never played great. and That's sort of veteranly stuff. I mean, yeah. when, you, when you're able to get by on really not your best. And again, I do think a lot of it was because of the rank of players she played. She sure, didn't play any, she of didn't course. She did anybody top 70. But we know Madison, she can beat herself. No, exactly. And she didn't do that. No. So I think that they're... And the Keys match from everything... The keys Radvanska match from everything I heard was by far the best match of the five she played. Um, yeah, that's probably true. That's what Lindsay was saying. Yeah, no, that's that's probably true. She, so. she 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 wasn't she wasn't terrible. I mean, she and she had her chances in that match. And once she gets through she gets through that, who knows, right? Like she plays Muguruza. I mean, she could have she could have made the final. So on some level, it's it's hard to gauge Madison's uh, run, right? Because on one hand she didn't do much, but on the other hand there was a great opportunity lost. And then on one hand it's like, well, but she made the quarters of a slam playing B level tennis. And just yeah. quarters is a great result for anybody. Pretty much, it's not a bad result for anybody. Yeah. Maybe bar Serena, who's win, yeah. all win or nothing at this point with the slam bid, helps her ranking bolster. It's yeah. a good points to get in the bank after dropping all of her Eastbourne title points the yeah. week before in disappointing fashion. So overall, good stuff. Uh, Radvanska, interestingly, is way back in the top ten. It's a weird clumping in the ranking now, where there's like like the gap between like six, I want to say, and twenty is mm. pretty close. Mm. And so, so, but, so, like, so like Muguruza would have gone from number six from twenty <coughs> by winning the slam, which is a much bigger jump than you That's usually crazy. see yeah. for, for a slam winner. Um, even with the two thousand points, it's more than usually you get. So Aga's ranking wise back there. Is this a one off good tournament for her? Which, which all the problems and the demons gonna be back when she gets back on away from grass? We'll see. Uh, just wanted to watch for sure, but at least it was a bit of a you know she pulled the ripcord and something came out of the. the yeah, parachute. I mean she played she played pretty darn good tennis throughout that tournament, and yeah. uh, obviously she, you know, got a little bit of a, a boost when when Yelena Yankovic beat uh, Petra Kvitova. Definitely. Uh, but she took care of business, got there, and. Um, 
you know, yeah, it, it's hard to fault Aga too much. I, I didn't think she played the Muguruza match particularly well, in my opinion. No, I but, didn't think so either. But, you know, I mean, given where she was, you know, a month ago yeah. and where she is now, that's absolutely a positive result uh, for Ravonska. Definitely. All good in the women? Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, yeah, we've waxed poetic about Serena. I think we did. I think we kind of, I mean, you know, equal prize money, equal coverage. we got to talk about the guys now. I guess so. The guys. <sighs> for the guys, there was one phenomenal match in this tournament, I think. And for me, I don't know if you're going to say the same one. It's not even phenomenal, it's not the right word to use for it. But for me, the Murray-Federer match, yep. even though it was a straight sets win for Federer, quality was unbelievably good in that match. That match felt so climactic and huge and massive. Obviously, those are the two most popular players in Great Britain by some distance. Um, and Federer just played unbelievable time capsule. Shocking. Vintage. I'm still reeling. It was so good. It was so, so I'm good. I'm gabberflasted. <laughs> that you are. And, uh, yeah, so it was so, so good. It was uh, a great match from Roger and maybe, I don't know if I want to say peak too soon, but yeah, you could say that. I mean, the thing about that match, I mean, I just remember live blogging it and obviously we go point by point and, and there was just point after point where I was like, I don't really know what to say either because Roger's serving lights out and there are no rallies, but at the same time, the thing that I'm seeing is so ridiculously good, yeah. you know. Um, but I think that, yeah, I mean, in some ways you say, okay, he peaked too early. At the same time, me watching that match, and I don't know if you agree with this, Ben, I thought that if Roger dipped by just 5%, yeah, totally. that, 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 that match was a match against Murray, because Murray played fantastic. He I, served at 74%. He was serving big. I mean, he played great. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody, and someone has, it's a counterexample, I'd love to hear it. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody play better in a straight set loss. Yeah. Especially best of five, where you have right. to lose three That's sets That's like a in top a elite player. Yeah. Right? You know, like where you didn't just, but I mean, that was just incredible level for Murray. So I really thought, okay, Rogers just got to drop for 5%, and then we have a match. If Roger drops by 10%, I think Murray wins. And, and he didn't he drop. just never dropped. And what are you supposed to do, you know? So my logic from there was there's no way that Roger Federer replicates that performance. I, I just really genuinely didn't believe it because we've seen a pattern with Federer throughout the majors that he plays kind of like a phenomenal match, yeah. uh, a match that is just not just uh, physically in performance uh, a phenomenal, but also mentally, like emotionally. Like it, it, he had to have been on cloud nine after that semifinal, given that vintage performance. I've talked to so many reporters um, in the press room who have obviously followed Roger for much longer than I have, have seen more of his matches, and every single one of them was like, that has to be the best three sets of tennis they've ever seen him play back to back to back. Like they like people were just like, That's nuts what I, he just did. I talked to Johnny Clarici mm-hmm. after that match. Johnny's who's, seen a lot of things. Johnny's seen a lot of things. He's a, he's in his eighties, <coughs> he's a dean of tennis journalism, he's been around longer than anybody. He said like and he was say, I was ran each other in the hallway and he was saying like I, I'm gonna try to do his accent, I won't because it's incredible it's like Italian slow Italian it's great. We should get him on the show at some point. Um, he was saying that like he saw Bill Tilden and he saw Don Budge and he never saw anyone play like a yeah. better match than that. Yeah, or like a better service performance. Yeah. I mean, Richard, Richard Krychek was, was saying impressive. that um, that's, that might, may have been the best that anyone has ever served in a tennis match. Very possible. And I, and I totally believe it. Like, in, even though this sport is all about hyperbole, and so normally I'm like, bullshit. But on this one, I'm like, no, I think you're right. Yeah. So that you know that, that that's really disappointing, but yeah, for me, I thought, well, there's no way that Roger can replicate that against a Novak Djokovic, and a Novak Djokovic is better in every single facet of the game than an Andy Murray. So for me, going into today's final, the Sunday final, I thought that it was going to be Djokovic all the way, which he did eventually win four sets. Um, and sure enough, uh, you, not just, you just thought that just because you thought Roger couldn't sustain that. He couldn't sustain it. There's no because I think that you've seen a pattern. I was saying before about Roger is that. There have been moments where he has these matches, and then the next match is kind of a bit of a flop. And uh, like that win over Malfis, that uh, that that comeback win that he had at the U.S. Open, yeah. and then he turned around. That's and a lot like, more physical, though. I know, but also emotionally. But yeah, you true. know, like, but it, it, whether or, it's physical or, the, or emotional, there's always something. Something's off the next match. Yeah, the 2011 French Open where he interrupted mm-hmm. Novak's streak and then played one of not a great final right. against. Rafa. I just don't think that he, he can do the back-to-back thing. I, mean, I think fair. that if he had beaten Andy playing like a B-plus level, I think I w- actually would have given him a better shot at beating, beating Novak, but I think he peaked too early, whereas 
I mean, Novak Djokovic, he wins the title, beats Federer in four sets in the final. Uh, third Wimbledon title, now as many, has as many as uh, Boris Becker. Um, and he also has more majors now, nine, than Connors, Lendl uh, Agassi. Agassi. I mean, those are the big three. Those are big names. Those are big names, people. Like, this, this man is very good at tennis. Um, and he's still overshadowed. That's the thing. Like, even though he was in there top seed defending champion, it's still, in, especially in the building, like, it had this feeling of it being like Roger Seinel. Yep. And there was this other guy there. And it's this ridiculous curse of timing, essentially, for lack of a better term, for sure. Djokovic, that he's just come in this era where he is yet to break out of these people's shadows. And I did like a lot of his, we've talked a lot about it before, but Djokovic sort of embracing his villain or anger or whatever you want to call it. And I did like that he was, you know, not on amazingly strained behavior near the end. He was willing to be screaming at the crowd, and they, you know. Well, they were bo- they were la- they were basically mocking him. I mean, when he missed a serve, he right. kind of muttered back at them in, in Serbian, and then they those those fans, they you know, Novak should send them a, a, a bouquet because he got pissed and he closed out that match yeah. with authority. And that's just that's Novak. That's Novak. I like to see because it yeah, feels more honest. authentic. Yeah. Honest, honest, authentic. Exactly. Um, other things that happened in the draw on the way to get there. Uh, Djokovic played a long five-setter against Kevin Anderson in the fourth round. It's weird. Hmm? It was weird. Yeah. It was weird. I mean, Kevin Anderson, who won both first two sets via tie breaks, absolutely treeing. I mean, he hit this one stab backhand pickup volley that it just was the most, it has to be the most perfect shot he's ever hit in his entire career um, in a clutch moment in the second set tiebreaker. Um, but yeah, so Novak gets through. He basically, you know, came through his draw, which was not a, necessarily an easy draw. Not at all. Uh, it was aided a little bit by Richard Gasquet's big five-set win over Stan Wawrinka. Yeah, and I have to say, let's let's pause for a moment and talk about Mr. Wawrinka because okay. something tells me that by the time this season is over, the man, if you, there may be p- players who are nominated for Player of the Year and things like that, but you want to talk about one guy who will have influenced the storyline and the narrative of the entire season, I have a feeling that at the end of the season, we are going to be giving that to Stan Wawrinka. A, for beating Novak Djokovic in the French Open final, yeah. derailing thus now uh, the a, a chance for a double career slam, going in, or a uh, calendar slam. Career going slam the US and Open. the double calendar slam, yeah. Right. Uh, and then on top of that here, losing in five sets to Richard Gasquet and thus denying us of a French Open rematch in the semifinals, Novak Djokovic and Stan Wawrinka, which I think would have been a very, very interesting match. Oh, for sure. And who knows what happens out of that match. Um, I would have liked Novak in that match. I still don't think Stan sure. had no. on grass. I know, but it could have been interesting. It's, it's more of a toss-up than Gasquet. Yeah, the, the Djokovic-Gasquet match felt like kind of a waste of a semifinal because it just yeah. felt so never in doubt. And that is and it with, took too long because it, for it, a never it, in doubt thing, we were like, It was slow. It took it, they dawdled. But then, then Federer-Murray was relatively quick in its own way. Um, but then, yeah, Gasquet's tournament was great. I mean, yeah. since, we, since we last left you, dear listeners, he beat uh, Nick Kyrgios. And in a match that I didn't see coming at all, I thought that was going to be easy for Kyrgios. I really, even after Gasquet beat Dimitrov handily in the third round, Kyrgios was was a player that I had sort of penciled into that quarterfinal well, stand. I, mean, I thought I had a really good shot of beating Stan. Kyrgios was a couple of double faults away from, from, from taking that to a fifth set. And then fifth set, Gasquet, who knows? Let's talk about Nick Kyrgios. Oh, let's talk about Nick and Kyrgios. His, and we're not, not Have you written the Nick Kyrgios think piece? I haven't written the Nick Kyrgios think piece. I feel like behind the times. I feel like I'm like out I'm like out of the loop now. Like I feel like I, I can't add my opinion now. They're going to revoke your, your credential. Well, they'll do that anyway. <laughs> um, let's talk about Nick Kyrgios, though, because he caused quite the... Tempest in a teacup here. That was the very Wimbledon term. And his loss, Courtney, you were saying this was a non-story. I'm just going to let you rank. I know you have feelings. I have feelings about it. Look, okay, so Nick Kyrgios basically drops the first set to Gasquet. He's he's beside himself. If you watch that match, he's just mentally all over the place. He's muttering. He's doing Nick Kyrgios things. More so than usual. More so than usual, fine. But in the beginning of the second set, he basically, yeah, does he give away a few uh, Gasquet service games? Like, he doesn't even try to hit the return. He kind of moves past it. One in particular, yeah. One in particular, yeah, it's fine. So he does it. Sure, fine. Crowd starts booing him. That's their right. It's the crowd's right to boo whoever the hell they want to boo. Um... Nick Kyrgios also was a few po- was one point away from forcing a fifth set. The, everybody's talking about Nick Kyrgios tanking. That, it's not a tank because the ITF rule is that you do give your best efforts to win a match. Not every single goddamn point, 
that you don't put 100% effort into every stroke that you hit, yeah. uh, not every game that you win, but you try to win the match. And holy crap, I mean, let's go back 10 years, 15 years, to when this game was dominated by big servers. Go back and watch an Agassi versus Sampras match. And you tell me how many of those games Agassi was just like, boom, 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 boom. Because he just was like, well, I'm, you know, 30 love down on Pete's serve. Rest you know, up for my, I'm down 2-5. Yeah. I'm just going gonna, gonna to chill out a little bit. And that doesn't mean that he's not trying to win the match. He is trying to win the match. He's just trying to manage himself and his emotions and his physicality. Not every point matters the same. Not as every point matters. So this idea that somehow Nick Kyrgios should be raked over the coals over this tanking thing, and I disagree with Andy Roddick on this, which is because he was very adamant about on the BBC he likes Kyrgios, he's a great for the game, we need this kid, but I have a problem with him not trying, is effectively Andy, Andy Roddick's take. And I, I disagree with the latter because I think that it was really blown out of proportion by, by the British tabloids. Um, I don't think that it's a fair critique for a guy who literally, he had set point in the fourth set um, to take it to a fifth and potentially, once again, rally from two sets down yeah. uh, to Richard Gasquet. Um, he was trying to win the match. And I think that you judge it, you compare what he does and you compare it to what Tomic does, or you compare it to what Fonini has done, where you footfalled intentionally on, on match point, or you like just give, you know, what he did, what Fonini did in Cincinnati, what we've seen Tomic do a couple right. of times. That's tanking. And one of the arguments I've heard from people in favor of best of five is saying that, oh, you have time for all these ebbs and flows for people to like, and so I, I was talking to David Law on his podcast about this like last year, one of the things he was saying was, oh, it was so great when somebody used to, you know, conserve, there's match management you have to do, and you conserve your energy, and this is exactly what Kyrgios was doing. <laughs> That's what he was doing. And so he was knowing the format, and like you said, he had a point, a set point in the fourth set, a tiebreak, I think, yep. to get it to a fifth. Yep. So you can't say that what he did in the second set, you know, was him tanking the match on any level. And so, and he just got raked over the coals. It was, it was one of the most bizarre press conferences yeah, I've ever been to. Weird. It was really, this is where the Wimbledon having the club, man, man, sorry, the club members being moderators really backfired on them and on the press scene and definitely on Nick Kyrgios because he was just given no protection and kept getting asked over and over and over again, uh, did you, do you deny? Do you not deny it that you It felt like think? a deposition. It was all these like, triple negatives in there. It was kind of weird. It was weird. I was like, if you want the question, just ask the question and stop talking. No. Like, you know what I mean? Like, some, you know, it's like... People were getting didn't like, no, 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 we deserve a proper response. And it's like, yeah. I just, you don't deserve anything. And he was being such a petulant, you know, he, sulking little kid about it, which is his right. And, and yeah. people, and, and I... I, I I am, and am I, am I a Nick Kyrgios defender? I am. I don't like the berating of umpires. I don't like the belittling of um, officials. That stuff needs to stop. But, our, I mean, he's a 20-year-old kid. And I will say this was a huge reversal because I thought the exact opposite. I think I said it on the podcast in Australia. In Australia, he was being treated with kid gloves, and he wasn't getting anything remotely even verging on possibly negative in questions. And so it seems almost now like the Australian media, when they are driving, there were a lot of Aussies here in, the, in that press conference, uh, totally flipped. And they have this new new read on Curios, and they're well, kind of overgoing on that. And end. I and I think that overcorrecting. Yeah, it's overcorrecting. But I I do think that. So, I mean, this is how. I'm not even gonna say it's journalism, but this is how the internet works. Okay, you identify a topic that people are clicking on a lot. Nick Curios. Yep. And every single day, you try and find a new story to latch to that topic. And writing the same story, which is, Nick Kyrgios is great, and da 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 is enough. But once Nick Kyrgios, through the first week, became kind of a lightning rod at this tournament, it got heaped up, you know, controversy was heaped upon him. Yeah. You know, like, things got blown out of proportion, like, oh, he got a code violation for tanking. No, he didn't. That never happened. And that's not very difficult to just get up from your desk and walk from your desk to the ITF desk and confirm what code violations he got in that match. It's not a difficult thing. It wasn't done. Right. And this whole thing got spun out of control. That's just how Wimbledon works, though, with the whole culture That's of Wimbledon. Just, it's, it's you're, writing, you're talking about the non-stories. Yeah. So we had the Curios Tank was a non-story. The Genie Bra Strap, which I think we talked about last time, yeah. was a non-story. non-story. Novak yelling at the ball kid, non-story. Really um, yeah. Yeah, there's tons of things like you know, like Bethany uh, crit criticizes the Wimbledon white policy, and all of a sudden it's like Wimbledon all white policy comes under fire. It's like no, it didn't. She was joking. We were just laughing about it. And her, you know, it's just take what you read with a grain of salt, and also maybe don't read things. Just listen to our podcast. And also watch your salt intake. <laughs> it's also very important. Yeah, so that that's Nick Kyrgios. But again, look, I mean, the kid for 
everything that everybody talks about with him, he delivers at the majors. He does. Can we talk briefly? I don't think we've got Gasquet. Nice little tournament for him. First semifinal at Wimbledon since 2007. Seven, he made the final semis of the U.S. Open in 2013, which is totally forgettable. Um, he and fought so well against Stan. That he, final that set. That was unbelievably good. And just all the things that you kind of don't associate with Gasquet. And I think Gasquet didn't say it directly, but I got the sense that he really was inspired by Stan Wawrinka, who he sees mm. as being a totally, you know, kind of as close to a carbon copy of himself as you can find in the sport. Well, not in, just in terms of what their games look like in silhouette, having the big one-handed backhand, you know, setting it up. He learned from Stan, and it's standing more on the baseline now, being more aggressive. Yeah, he's, he's being made, more aggressive, that's for yeah, sure, yeah. He's learning from he Stan. He clearly it's watched more, the more, French Open more, final. Exactly, so he's learning from Stan, is all, all I'm saying there. Yeah, that's, that's fair. fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. Ben's responding to a very... Your faces. Yeah, I was a little bit skeptical of where he was going with that, because I don't think they have similar game styles at all. But yeah, I mean, let's, let's talk very briefly about Andy Murray. Okay. Um, great tournament for him. Sorry, I mean it's just it was, and when couldn't you come have been up, better with, it, with who we came up against against Andy. And the thing Rod, is, uh, with against Roger, and the thing with Murray, like he lost to Roger first time he's lost to anybody other than Novak Djokovic since February. Um, still has only lost to those two guys, the two guys that sit in front of him in the yeah. rankings, and he played well. Like he, I, I felt really bad for him in his press conference because like I think he was still trying to process it. He came in immediately after he lost, which is what Andy Murray generally tends to do. So he kind of really didn't really know what happened out there. Um, but yeah, I thought that, you know, he had a pretty easy draw once, you know, Sanga went out, once Rafa went out, all that sort of stuff, once Ferrer pulled out. But uh, he took care of business and I think he has a lot to be proud of and a lot of momentum going into the hard courts. Definitely, definitely. Any other closing Wimbledon thoughts before we move on to other business? I mean, all in all, I thought it was a good tournament. I, there weren't enough epic matches. Like, exactly. I, I, you know, like I, I thought the, uh, you know, I mean, Serena, Heather was great just because it was weird. Like, I'm still the processing it. The stakes were so it. high. The stakes were so high, and it was just odd. And Serena Vika was quite good. Um, obviously, Kerber, Muguruza, I thought was great. I was happy that we got a good final, I thought, especially yeah. in light of the two duds we have had on the women's side here um, with uh, uh, the 48-minute thing that happened last year with yeah. Petra Kvitova and Eugenie Bouchard. 55. 55, sorry. Uh, and then uh, Marion Bartoli reducing Sabina Lissiki to tears the year before. I, I appreciated that Muguruza fought, yeah. that she didn't cry on court. She cried afterwards when she had every right to cry. Um, and I think that she walks away again, like I said, and, and I wrote a big long piece on it on SI just because I wanted to get it out of my system. I think that she walks away with a bit of an education, a bit of a better understanding of herself. And also because she's one of those players that we point to as maybe not kind of like a Madison Keys who doesn't take care of business in early rounds and so doesn't get herself. I mean, she only has one title in Hobart. Yeah. Um, so as that was we early talked, on, too. That was, I, like, I was very, it was basically when it was like, oh, Garbini Muguruza. Now I think that she walks away from Wimbledon realizing, and this sounds like a weird thing to like have to realize as a professional athlete, especially as a tennis player, but sometimes it just takes one of these things to really hammer it home, that if you want that opportunity, if you want to step out on that center court and play Serena Williams for your Grand Slam final, if you want those opportunities for greatness, you have to win round one, yeah. and you have to win round two, and you have to win round three, and maybe I, I, I just get the sense that she didn't quite so kind of process it, it yeah. that way before, and I think that she gets it now. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to see what she do she do on the U.S. Open hard courts. I just want to give a quick shout out to Sonia Mirza for oh, her gosh, first. Yeah. That was the of the five finals <laughs> in the major <laughs> event. Final. That was by far the best one. That was so good. So good that match, uh, except for with the exception of. God, being kind of a grating yelping from uh, Elena Vesnina after every single point they won and this like weird shout she did in celebration um, that got old fast but otherwise great great final Martina rallying from 2-5 five, from down in the third set in the third winning set. five straight games winning five straight uh, games Hingis also got the mixed title so she's doing <clears throat> very well for herself come back you know I think validated to use that word yeah. by this by this weekend she had here uh, she, the mixed final was a complete blowout one and one uh, so yeah, Shania, we've, we, I think we had audio from her on the show in Charleston, so you guys know what, sort of what she's all about. She's a cool lady. She's a cool it, lady. It was very, very, I was happy to get to write that story yesterday. Um, there are a few people yeah. that I like to talk to, just sit down and chat with more yeah. than Sonia Mirza. She's always one of those people where I'm like, can I have 30 minutes with her? Like, five minutes is not enough to, to kind of unpack the, the awesomeness of Sonia. Um, and also shout out, I know this is kind of random, but shout out to Horia Takao. 
um, winning finally Wimbledon uh, after two uh, really heartbreaking losses the last couple of years when he was partnered with Robert Lindstedt. An interesting thing is that a former player told me that because uh, that, I was saying, oh, yeah, I guess it would be nice if Jamie Murray won this. Jamie Murray and John Pierce were also in the final. Um, Andy Murray, adorably, like trying to watch and freaking out. He, he, he was not have so come. nervous. He should not have come. He was so nervous. Um, but um, a former player was telling me that, like, actually, you should be rooting for Horia Takao. And I said, why? And he said, because the last couple of years, when they've lost, Robert Lindstedt has blamed him explicitly, uh-huh. like, to his face for the losses. And so... Robert Lindstedt's kind of a dick. A little bit. A little yeah. bit. The former player continued on his... And John Julian Royer is also just an he's, awesome guy. He's one of the nicest guys on tour. He's, like, Murray's, like, best bud. Yeah. He always talks about... Like, Andy Murray always talks about John Julian Royer. Like, I, I think remember, he likes him more than Jamie. I remember <laughs> there was a time when Andy had just won Wimbledon. And he was tweeting that he was watching a <laughs> World Team Tennis match because Jean-Julien Royer was playing in it. And Andy Roddick happened to be that match. And I showed Andy the tweet, Andy Roddick the tweet. And he was like, if I just want Wimbledon, the last thing, I love World Team Tennis. He's like a co-owner. He like put a comment in there like, the last thing I would be doing is watching <laughs> the castles versus the lasers or whatever it was. Uh, so yeah, He's a real hair cad. He's, they exist. Yeah. A cad of one. <laughs> there you go. So good stuff for them. Other business. Let's move on. I, I should. I need to. I guess address. Not need to. I'm going to because it works better than on Twitter. Um, I had an interesting. How long has it been? Like 48, 72, 72 hours. 72, 72 hours. Well, the first few hours weren't that interesting because I wrote this article um, about women's issues that many female players have had on the tour with body image and perceptions of masculinity as part of that, and just feeling uncomfortable being muscly. And it's a real problem for a lot of female athletes, period, and in tennis um, that goes on and talk to a bunch of people about it. It's been a story that's been in the pipeline for a while. I did a lot of the interviews and stuff for it in Rome, and we were finding a time for it. And the original peg for it was uh, Agnieszka Radwanska because she was the one her coach has said sort of the most, um, I think, I don't know what the word for it is, uh, startling thing about yeah, it, I guess. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, about saying that you know it was a priority for her to stay small so she could be a woman, essentially. Um, a pretty shocking quote. Yeah, no, totally uh, shocking. From a quote. professional athlete and a professional athlete's coach. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, but continue. And so we had this story planned for Radvanska. It was, uh, we were saying we could do it for the semis, like, no, we can wait and whatever. And so we were, it was looking like it could be a Serena Radvanska final because obviously that would have been great for this because there were two two huge parts of the story um, and the very different ways they approach uh, the physicality of the sport. And so uh, Radvanska lost. But just talk to the editor and say, we can still do it anyway. We'll just put, since we needed a time hook for the story, so Serena's still in the tournament. So we put Serena up top and a little, added a little bit more about her. Um, and the story went up and had a lot of thoughts from, you guys should go read it. It's, uh, Andrea Petkovic has Andre thoughts. Um, Andrea Petkovic was talking about how, you know, she just feels, she wants, and she was really interesting because you, you heard her on the show. She's obviously a huge feminist, really believes in that. But saying still, she has times where she just is not entirely comfortable, has insecurities about it when she sees, you know, two-handed backhand photos are the main one. Yeah. You see the, the arms really bulging in that particular shot, and the women just look much bigger than they are. Um, and so that, Tamea Baczynski said similar things. Anyway, so check it out. Um, and it went up, and it was pretty much all fine for the first seven, eight hours it was up. There was not much. Most of the feedback I was getting positive. I was hearing people, you know, here and online. They liked it, whatever. And then I think there was, it sort of slowly turned on Twitter. People were saying that it was really sexist. And at first I couldn't tell if they were saying the article was sexist or just the people's beliefs were sexist. And I think there was a lot. Because there, there is some sexism in of, the of article course. from and the it's, And it's not a pleasant topic. This, no. is, this is not a soft, easy topic. This is me saying, this is what I try to do with the sport all the time. I try to talk about things that are below the surface that do affect these players, these women on tour, obviously people who know. Well, you did that weight story, WTA weight yeah, story about, about the uh, for Slate and a couple years ago. the problems that causes for them having to have their weights listed publicly. Yeah, I talked about that. I talked about um, the stalking story came out earlier this week since we last did the show. Um, so I do these WTA issue stories. It's kind of my wheelhouse, more or less. Um, and this one just turned at some point, I guess, and people decided that it was sexist, the article itself, the idea that we were writing about Serena on the verge of Serena's, you know, coronation, as we were saying, that we chose this to write about, like, instead of this, this theme came in the tweet that instead of writing about her greatness, we were writing about her body, which 
I mean, New York Times probably had like 40 articles come out during <laughs> Wimbledon, you guys. Right. And I think people, most people get that, but a lot of people who aren't following the sport just sort of parachute into this one article. And this is all we're devoting our energy to, and it's not. Um, and then the other complaint that came up later was that it was racist, and this really blew up this part of it, saying that it was, you know, going back to historical problems black women have had with having their bodies objectified and talked about. It. And I totally understand that that has been an issue. I just didn't think at all. I was blindsided by that criticism of it, as, especially as it kept coming. When it was like one person at first, I was like, okay, this person's sleeping to a conclusion. But more people kept taking those steps to say that it was racist. And there was not a single mention of explicitly of race in the story. There happened to be a black woman who was mentioned first. But for me, it was a story about all these different women and how they all approach it differently. One of them happened to be Serena Williams, and she was put at the top of it because she is the queen of the sport right now and the relevant person. Um, so it was, it was interesting. And maybe looking back, like I said, Radvanska was originally the top of it. I don't think this story would have wrestled, definitely I don't think would have gotten the racial attention it would have gotten if Radvanska had stayed on top of it and Serena had been in the middle somewhere in the original version. Um, maybe it did come off in the rewriting of being too much Serena versus everybody else. I understand if that's where we took a misstep and people were saying I was asking all these women to talk about Serena's body. I never asked anybody to comment on Serena's body at all. I said... I was talking to Tim Monacario, who was there in Rome with me, when I was asking most of these questions, some in press, some in smaller group interviews. And he was saying, yeah, so I was there, and I know that you know that's not what was happening. Um, anyway, so it was, a, it was an odd experience getting, you know, there's an MSNBC segment about it today, and all sorts of stuff that has been blowing up. And I think a lot of that has to do with Twitter outrage culture and piling on. And there was a tweet from the New York Times official account um, that just used the Victorovsky poll quote as the sort of image. And I don't think, and I think, I think people conflated that for some reason with that being like my thesis statement that women aren't feminine if they have muscles, which I completely don't agree with. I mean, part of what I love about tennis is that it allows people of all different shapes and sizes to do well on even playing field. I also am not saying in this article that Serena's only winning because she has muscles, because obviously other players, Sam Stoser or whoever, sorry Sam, uh, have muscles and don't win nearly as much. That's not a one-to-one -one ratio at all. Um, yeah, so I just I was surprised by the level of outrage at it, and know that just because I'm bringing up uncomfortable topics, and these are uncomfortable topics, and the reactions that I did get saying like, wow, I got obviously a lot of reactions on all sides saying, wow, it's scary that women at the top of the sport do have these opinions, and like, shouldn't top female athletes be secure in their bodies? That's more what I was going for. That was the issue I was talking about, not is Serena Williams a man who is disgusting and monstrous, which are some of the words that were conflated to me using to describe her, which I thought were just sort of completely out of line. I mean, I, the stuff that I got for this was not, was unlike anything I've ever gotten before. I had people saying that it sounded like a description of slaves for sale in the 1800s, where it was like, you're yeah, making a face, but yeah, that's what, I was getting that, saying that like, I'm describing her biceps means that like, I'm describing how good a cotton picker she would be. You know what's interesting? And it just got, it felt like for me, and I wasn't responding to almost any of it on Twitter right, because yeah. it's not the medium Twitter is to do not that. the medium for any of that. I don't know. I just I just felt like people were shooting the messenger on this topic, conflating the article, saying somehow the article was endorsing the status quo, which I just don't think it was. I'm rambling here, but I just had a lot of it, feelings. And this went took a total turn that it, I was it not was, expecting. It's, it's kind of interesting because. Um, and what did you think when you first read the story? Because you saw well, it no, before that, that stuff that's, happened. That's the thing. It's like I had no idea that you were working on this story. So when it hit, I was like, "This is interesting." And. I read it, and I was just shocked by the quotes, yeah. honestly. I was like, I, mean, I can't believe that Radvanska said that. I can't believe that Vitkarovsky said that. I was surprised by Petko's admission that she still deals with it, you know. And I, and, and I, I didn't honestly think twice about it, except to, I think when I retweeted it, I said, there's some interesting quotes in here, you know. Um, and thinking back on it, because I haven't honestly seen any of the backlash other than the, a random somehow I get tagged in stuff, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. I don't know why they're tagging you. I don't know, but, you know, but uh, so that I see some of the things. But I think that what was surprised, what was um, maybe like, I know you. Yeah. And I know, I knew exactly what you were trying to say. I knew exactly what you were trying to do. I know within the industry how articles like that turn around, which is that, like, yeah, I could see the whole, like, well, Radvanska lost, and so, but Serena's still in, so Serena then becomes the hook on the story. And I don't know, I guess for me, I almost see it a little bit too clinically while also being a little bit subjective because I know what Ben's trying to say, which is, like, shining the spotlight on the fact that there, here are these women, and especially when you talk about women's tennis, it is the big elephant in the room because, you know, you talk about the post-Anna Kornikova world of WTA tennis yeah. and these women who have come in 
uh, really do embrace the glamour side and they want to be the, the pretty they, girl. They, they want to be seen as that. Yeah, they, they, I mean, you guys saw them at the WTA party. I mean, they, 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 they glam up whether they, and, and some of them don't want to. No, not everybody, and but yet so they many want, and, them, and, yeah. and, yet, and yet, like, they're kind of told they need to, you know? And that is an incredible tension within, within WTA marketing, within the player marketing. Um, a lot of players coming from, obviously, I mean, you know, you guys have heard me talk and tweet and rant so much about the women's soccer team, the U.S. Yeah. women's soccer team. And one of the things that I have been um, very, uh, well, have been reminded of over the course of the last month is that it's very different for me in the States, like talking about women's sport than outside of it because of the opportunities that we have in the States yeah. that are very different. So this kind of dovetails into this other thing where I was uh, did a, a thing for the for the BBC in connection with the Arthur Ashe, uh, 40th anniversary of Arthur Ashe mm. winning Wimbledon here. Russell and Chris Clary. Yeah, yeah. Russell and Chris Clary. And, and we had a discussion about race in tennis, a discussion about race in America. And, uh, and it wasn't easy. No. And the reason why is because I was sitting there and so many things were going in my head as I was speaking where there would be moments where I was like, I actually want to bring in my own personal experience here because I'm an, I am a minority in America and I have some insight, not the same insight into the, the black experience, but like some insight into what it is to be like an outsider and, and whatever. Um, but then I would think, no, but if people don't know that I'm Asian, then maybe the words that would be coming out of my mouth would not be appropriate. Like somebody might be like, I can't believe that girl said that. Like, yeah. you know, it's so difficult to talk about race in America, yeah, um, and and you're just walking a, a, a landmine because you feel like, can I say this? Can I not say this? What if I want to say this, and my language is not precise enough, and then, you know, things blow up, up yeah. and you're accused of X, Y, and Z, and and maybe the context of things, right? Like even sometimes, even outside of this, I see it on Twitter where I'll tweet something like, like, oh, Andy Murray, like. You 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 got uh, you missed the football again, and I'll get this string of tweets of like, why do you hate Andy Murray so much? And I'm like, see, if if you knew the context of me, you know and that my she loves entire, Andy Murray, all yeah, of her being. I re- I do, you know, like I, I, you know, if you knew yeah. the context of everything, but you're taking this one thing out of context. So I think that when I read the article, I was kind of in the Ben Rothenberg context. I was like, yeah. oh, I know exactly what Ben's trying to do here, and I see it. But I also know, I also think that, that it it that's obviously you have that take on it as. I expected. I do think the article should be able to stand. Oh, absolutely. Don't know no, me no, I was, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I totally I, agree with you. No, that's fine. That so it should be objectively. Stand, everything that I've written should be yeah. able to stand on its own merits and not because of, oh, especially for the New York Times, should be able to stand and say, oh, not because, you know, oh, he's a good guy, even if he said this one ridiculous right. thing. I was not trying to say, like I said, talking about race. Race for me not, just never, not, never crossed my mind as a factor in this story. Obviously, and people were saying on Twitter, well, you know, Jessica Luther, who was one of the few people I responded to before it got out of control, and it was like, eh, shut it down, nothing's good coming of this, was saying, well, you missed an opportunity here to talk about race and the subjugation of black women and all these things that have happened. And I was thinking, that's just not what my story was about. I'm not writing a dissertation about... You were about, talking about a broader point about body right. image. And I understand that when Serena comes in, all the, ba- all the I don't want to say baggage, but all of the buttons that she touches in society, because she's such a revolutionary figure in our culture that she does bring up other issues, and people are looking uh, looking for, or not looking for, but are wary of things, ridiculous things and offensive things that have been said about her because there have been a ton. She's been put through incredible scrutiny, incredibly offensive language in a way that very few people have in this our culture today. And so I understand people have their antenna up for that sort of thing. I get that. I just, again, didn't think, and in my story, Serena is an entirely positive figure. She's the one who is comfortable in her own body, had some you know, insecurities early on, but has come to love herself, have self-acceptance, she talked about that, and is also winning everything. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I guess that so, was kind of my yeah. takeaway, like, honestly, like, reading it was, Serena Williams does everything that is necessary to be an awesome tennis player, right. and there are others who maybe aren't doing that, and the reason why is because of these body image issues. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was kind of the link right. and the flow, but... Yeah, I'm not saying it's the only reason no. that they were they were like choosing. Oh, I don't want to be you know unladylike, so I'm gonna let Serena win. I wasn't trying to say that. But either. you know, it's it's always an interest. It's a t- yeah. It's just always tough. I I get this at SI quite a bit where, you know, I'll I'll post a photo, 
or the photo, I don't do the photos actually, so, but okay. we'll cut a photo and generally speaking with an SI, at least, I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody about this. Oh no, somebody did mention this to me before, that um, generally they like action photos. Like they want to put an action photo as the lead, not they're more, they're more an exhortation one, not a random looking off to the side, but like a player hitting the tennis ball, right? Right. And to show the fierceness and the athleticism and the, that this is a sport, yeah. right? You know, there's a crazy thing going on. And there will be, I've received so many emails from people who are like, can't you pick a more flattering photo of Serena? Why can't, can't you pick a more flattering photo of Petra? You know, because it's like a backhand or forehand or whatever. And it's like, I'm of two minds of it, right? Because I'm like, on one hand, I totally understand the critique, like you want the player to look nice. On the other hand, they are an athlete. Yeah. And this is their job and this is what they do. And this photo, in my opinion, you know, uh, uh, captures the kinetic energy that goes into hitting the shit out of a ball. And they're and athletes. That's what they, they're, they're out there athletes. doing And they're first and foremost athletes. And, they're judged, and the scoreboard does not judge pretty. I think other people were saying that, like, oh, I was saying that all that matters is being pretty and the pretty one should win. That's the opposite of what I was saying. I there are so many, I don't know, I just had an exhausting sort of, cause I, did, I did read everything that I got in my mentions. I was, I was taking it in. There were a lot of people who had much more reasonable, smart taste. And I'm, I'm not saying that everyone who had a problem with it is ridiculous. I'm far from that. There obviously were things that it touched on that could have been better handled in the article, obviously, from the pure volume of stuff I got that was not based on nothing. But it's also kind of a, a hotbed time right now for women's sport because as, you know, I mean, like, we, like you know, uh, people are talking about equal, like equal pay issue or pay disparity issues with respect to women's soccer. Like, we talked about it in the last episode. Yeah, we talked about it, and I mean, I was one of the first to tweet about it because, like, you know, and and like, yeah. So there, there's a lot of talk about how women are, you know, like there was this blow up about FIFA referencing the fact that Alex Morgan is beautiful in an official article yeah. about her football. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so people women, are, and people should be sensitive to it. Women's issues are just a much more prominent thing in cult in media today than they are now. There are more female voices in media, which is tremendous. Yes. Uh, these issues are being talked about more. These issues have always existed, but it's sort of a, of the moment issue. It's, it's an issue that's very much sort of vanguard of what people are writing about and talking about and thinking about critical feminist thinking wherever you know sites like Jezebel for example which is obviously just one of a huge range of women's blogs um, things like that didn't exist 10 years ago and in so much of the forefront of media and that's all great again I just think that people were jumping to looking for something to be outraged by in some way and just from my personal point of view and conflated things that people said within quotation marks things that I said and I just felt like it came off a little bit uh, short, uh, you know, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, hasty. So, there we go. Fair that enough. was sort of my rant for today. <laughs> Let's turn the mic over to, to Courtney, because we have some stuff going on with you. We got, there, there, for, for a post-slam show, which is usually pretty full, <laughs> I feel like we have our own own things going on, so Courtney, so, so take it away. Okay. Um, yeah, so I guess I have an announcement to make, um, and I will make the announcement in other forms as well as, as the news kind of gets out. But basically at Wimbledon, it was pretty much out within the press room, everybody. Uh, the grapevine, the tennis grapevine, you know. Small we water. are some gossipers, man. Yeah, we're, we're pretty insufferable um, in that front. But yeah, so uh, the announcement is this. Um, after four years uh, as a contributing writer for SI.com and, and working as a freelance tennis writer and doing all the different things that I do and um, everything, I am actually uh, pretty much effective immediately. Going to be moving to a full-time position with the Women's Tennis Association, uh, the WTA. Um, I'll be, uh, there'll be more details about what that venture will look like going forward, but uh, basically I'll, I'll still be uh, a reporter, uh, effectively kind of a, a WTA beat reporter, mm -hmm. um, and still traveling uh, to just as many tournaments, um, still writing about tennis, still interviewing players. You know, I will be that woman who is in the first round Carlos Suarez Navarro post-match presser, uh, making sure that questions get asked um, and that these players are given their due. Weren't you already um, that woman? <laughs> that's probably true, actually. Well, this is the thing. Might as well get paid for it, right? Um, so yeah, so that that is a full time gig. I, I will no longer be uh, be uh, c contributing to, to SI.com, and um, you know it's it's uh, it's very weird. It, it kind of all hit me today, um, it, even though it's been obviously in the works for a while now. And um, it, it's it's a bittersweet moment in a lot of ways. And I, I think that for the, for the most part, 
you know, my four years at SI.com um, as a freelancer have been, you know, the four best years professionally of my life. I, I've had the time of my life I've worked with incredible people who were so passionate about tennis. I mean, that's how the whole gig kind of started, just background information. I, it's 2011, and I was traveling and unemployed, uh, traveling uh, all over the, the globe, going to as many tennis tournaments as I could, spent two weeks queuing up for tickets here at Wimbledon as a fan. That picture that you that is my Twitter avatar is me in a poncho holding a Pimm's cup outside of the media center because I was not credentialed and not allowed inside <laughs> the media uh, media center, even though all my friends were, and um, and came home uh, after that trip and got an email in my inbox from uh, Brad Weinstein, formerly of SI.com, and uh, asking you know hey we're relaunching this tennis blog and we'd love if if you could join us and. I mean, I was flabber. I Googled his name. I, I tried <laughs> to make sure that I, this wasn't spam. Um, catfished. Yeah, because writing for, for SI.com is, is just, I don't know, for me, it, not, it may not be every sports writer's dream, but it was definitely my dream. It's, it's the publication that I grew up reading uh, to, to read about sports. So it was incredible. They took me on. They helped me kind of transform from being, you know, kind of this uh, scraggly blogger into reshaping that into something where I could still express my voice and still cover the sport in the way that I wanted it to be covered, while at the same time, you know, not cracking blue jokes all the time. And, and we're so uh, blue. I'm so blue. Oh, um, the goat knuckles. I know the goat knuckles. Um, but yeah, so it, it was an incredible four years. I am sad to see it end. It's my decision. It, yeah. it was an SI.com decision. It was my decision um, for a lot of professional reasons, for a lot of personal reasons. Um, and a lot of those have to do with just the opportunity to um, go into the WTA um, and, again, cover, cover the sport the way that I think that it's supposed to be covered um, and to help build something that I think will have some lasting impact in terms of, of women's tennis and the, and the WTA, um, to give a voice to, to players who maybe don't get to sit in front of the mic as often and... Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it, and it's going to be challenging. It's going to be exciting, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry if this is coming off as like really weird. I just no. my mind in the last like few hours has been a little bit all over the place. But it's um, I'm excited. I'm sad. It's all of these things, but this is my choice. I'm doing it, and uh, there just comes a point where where you know new challenges are good, and uh, you want to almost kind of almost challenge yourself and, and say, I wonder if I could pull this off. And so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. But a lot of the day-to-day, -day, I think, from what, from what you've, we've talked about this obviously quite a bit, day-to-day uh, -day won't be that different. No. You'll, still be you'll be traveling yep. possibly more, not, definitely not less. Definitely not less, possibly more. Um, all four slams. All four all slams. All mandatories probably. Yeah. WTA only. So obvious question, will you miss Andy Murray? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's not like I won't be around anymore. I mean, the, there are four Grand Slams. I will be, like, waiting in his car when he gets <laughs> no, in. Stop. It's not like that, you guys. I just think he's great because he's a feminist and loves dogs. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, it, it'll be weird to kind of say goodbye to the ATP side and to not write about it. And obviously this is a full-time gig, so, so um, you know, there will be less freelancing and things like that. And, you know, it's WTA 24-7. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, nothing will really change. I'll still be sitting in the press room. I won't be sitting behind the communications desk. I'll be in press conferences. I'll be asking questions. I'll be doing interviews and Q&As and features. And, yeah, I mean, my goal, and, and obviously doing analysis, uh, quite a bit of analysis as well. There's a lot of different things that are kind of and reporting on not just, you know, you're, what you're taking is not, and this is a new thing for tennis, it's obviously established yeah, a lot of other sports. The thing that, that I'm doing is not, not something PR, they do. And it's not, it's it's not, not PR. PR. It's you're it's doing PR. what people have done in NFL, NHL, NBA, all have legions, or at least dozens combined, uh, staff reporters who right. write for their websites, and it's a common thing others. Yeah, so. yeah. So, so I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, it'll be, it, it'll be weird. It'll be, I think, more than anything with SI... I will just really miss the people that I worked with. And it was so weird because um, I worked from San Francisco from my home. Yeah. Uh, SI is obviously based in New York. And nearly, I mean, I've gone through and worked with probably like five or six editors over the course of time. And some of them I have met once, you know, in person. 
but I talk to every single day, all hours of the day, via Gchat, via text message, yeah. all these sorts of things. Um, they've given me a better uh, perspective on tennis. I've given them a good perspective on tennis. It's been really great, and it's been incredibly fun and rewarding to like help because I was basically doing the daily daily work yeah. so that John could kind of come in and you know hit the grand slams at the grand slams. Um, but uh, it's been very fun to kind of build up, uh, help build up SI as being a go-to place for for tennis fans to get their tennis news. And um, and I hope that that continues. I hope they continue to grow. I hope they continue to to invest in tennis to 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 appreciate what the sport can be in the states. And women's tennis, I will say, because as you know, the two of us we talk about. We do write, we do sort of, we are the people in the Carlos Suarez Navarro press conference. <laughs> and so you've given them an incredible emphasis on that side of the sport. Not that John was neglecting it per se, but the amount of quality women's coverage you did from an independent outlet was a huge, aside from all the other things you bring that are wonderful, was a huge benefit to the women's sport and tennis in general. So yeah, no, without a doubt. Keep that up I mean, there were definitely those days where, because I didn't control how the website was organized, I just kind of created the content and sent yeah. it in. Um, but there were those days where I'd wake up and I'd look at the website and it was like all of the main tiles were all WTA. And I'm not gonna lie, I've screenshotted a lot of them because <laughs> those were those were my victories. Those are and because of that, it's probably why it's best for me <laughs> to not work for an independent outlet and to go work for the WTA because right. that's not really particularly independent if that's what I'm rooting for. You've always loved the WTA. I mean, yeah, no, tennis, I, so. I believe in the, I believe in the product and and I think that there's so much opportunity there and. And, and looking forward at, at, at where the tour is going and, and the players that are there, I mean, it, it's going to be an exciting, you know, five, ten years um, for the tour. And uh, there's a lot of transition that's going to happen. But, yeah, I'm excited, uh, but I don't want my excitement to mask my sadness of, of, of uh, yeah, of uh, an era ending with SI.com. The era that is not ending, though, because some of you might be worried about this, is NCR. NCR is still going. We have no plans to stop now that you are having a different abbreviation behind your name, yep, WTA yep, instead of SI. Nope. NCR I'm still allowed to do it. in there, still uh, in your contract. And we'll see, we'll see, I mean, obviously, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And, and I've, I've, I've basically told Ben, because obviously this is a sport of conflicts of interest, yeah. obviously there's a, there's a massive conflict of interest here, arguably, um, that exists, that, you know, no one, I can lay it bare, I mean, it's pretty obvious, I work for a tour, and Ben and I pretty much sit on here and critique the the tennis and the champion tours. the tennis and the tours and what they're doing and things like that. So obviously that 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 side of things is going to change for me with respect to the WTA, and we'll um, and we'll see how it goes. And I've I've basically I've told Ben a, a gazillion times um, as we've discussed how what new, no challenges remaining will look like going forward. That if, if at any moment he feels that the product is being compromised and that um, you know yeah that that I'm off. And that's perfectly fine with me because that's totally fair. It would be super sad, but it would be fine. But um, Ben can say whatever he wants. <laughs> there, I'm, be, there just might be awkward silence exactly. on my end. <laughs> wait for that. Wait for me to say something. And Courtney needs to sit there. And I'll just keep talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then be like, Courtney, anything? No. Moving on. Anyways, so, so you know, it, it, it's going to be a work in progress, and we're going to try and make it work. But you're still going to be able to talk about what's done. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, that's what I want to do. I mean, yeah. I, I want to talk about it, and hopefully I can give additional insight, more insight than, than maybe others, um, into into what's going on and into the players in particular, I think. But, uh, you know. Because you're not moving across the aisle. Now you're going to be, we'll see how they see you, but it's, you're yeah. an interesting sort of, middle zone in which you're, you know, going to have a, you know, at WTA Tennis yeah. email address and all those sorts of things that makes you a staffer. And right. We'll all see. of those things. And, and that'll be definitely a little, you know, weird. But yeah, we'll see what happens when the next uh, WTA Finals bid is up and Ben wants to rip into the, t- the, the thing going to, I don't know, some country, some city in China that we've never heard of. And I'm just like... But China's nice. That would not. That will never happen. That will never happen. And you, I can assure you that. And I and I mean this, like, because this has been something that's been on my mind. It's been something that's been in the discussion quite a bit in the course of this whole thing. That you will still not hear a word that comes out of my mouth or see a word attached to my byline that I do not fully believe in. And that is my word to you, dear listener. That is my 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 word to myself. Um, and that's the only way that that that. I can move forward because otherwise it's it just would never work. So that's that's my piece on it. 
There you go. And we'll leave it with that. Do you have any parting song of goodbyes? I feel like you're really into sad music about goodbyes. This is not sad. It's, just, it's a new beginning. Let's go with Oasis's Don't Look Back in Anger, because that is, at Hemingway's, the bar up here at Wimbledon Village, that is their last call song. I hope this show has been less sloppy than Hemingway's. The place is a mess. It's a mess. But it's open. It's an open mess. <laughs> and we thank you for joining us in our open mess. We'll see you next time. We'll have all sorts of fun stuff planned. We have some interviews, can or one at least I'm thinking of, that in the can ready to go for you uh, between now and when the serious tennis gets back underway. Not that Bostad is not serious tennis with Serena. Uh, yeah, we'll have some fun with it. Bye, guys. Bye. The grounds will be closing in approximately 15 minutes. Please make your way to the exit gates and make sure you take all your belongings with you. We hope you've enjoyed your day at Wimbledon and we wish you a safe journey home. Thank you. Slip inside the eye of your mind. Don't you know you might find a better place to play? Set.